Have you ever felt like you're good at many things, but people didn't know what to do with you? Well, generalists all over the world have this problem. And my guest, Millie Tamati, has built a home for them. I'm Arvid, and welcome to The Bootstrap Founder. Today, Millie will share with you why generalists are useful for any organization, what it took her to build a community for them online, and how living on an island with just 170 people plays into all of that. It's going to be an interesting one, I can tell you that. The episode is sponsored by Acquire.com, more on that later, and now here's Millie. Millie, thanks so much for being on the show. So you run this wonderful community called Generalist World. Tell me, what is so special about generalists? That's a great question, Arvid. Thank you for having me, first <laughs> of all. I think what is so special is that Generalists have been around forever, right? This is not like I've just invented this whole new thing. Like there has been the spectrum of the way we approach the world, whether that's being very, very specialist or more like a generalist nature forever since like the dawn of time. And I think what is special just at the moment is that there's just a shift and that's from seeing it as a negative thing to a positive thing. Um, and that's come through like loads of conversation and um, listening and trying to understand like who and what a generalist is. I think also what's kind of special about this time in the world is that we just have these like really, really big, complex, messy problems to like societally to, to, to work on and to change. And I think where I get really excited about the uniqueness that comes with generalists is that when you put really, really high caliber generalists in rooms with really, really high caliber specialists, and you have this really diverse skill set, that's when you can start untangling these big problems. Mm -hmm. do, do generalists, like, to, to me, it always was a negative term. It was mm -hmm. kind of related to the dilettante kind of term, right? The idea of somebody who does everything not well enough to be considered valuable or a good contributor. Is that still a stigma or is that stigma be on the way out? Great question. When I first started looking into this, it was totally a stigma. It was like, I, I didn't even have the language for generalist. I would call myself an all-rounder and... You know, when I came across the word generalist, I almost said it like in a whisper. I was like, I think I'm a generalist. And my, I'm also, you know, we're all in our own kind of bubbles. But from what I can see from the talks that I'm doing, from the appetite and the interest that are coming from not just generalists, but social media, super respected organizations like the London School of Economics, they are tapping into this as well. They are, there's this whole push for, I guess, like interdisciplinary. Um, and it comes back to that big problems. We're all in the same boat. We all, we all want to solve these big problems. And so I would say even like pre-COVID, um, this would have been still quite a negative thing. It definitely didn't come with like a badge of honor that you're a generalist. And it's been, for me, as the one who's kind of like one of the faces of this kind of movement and this conversation, it's been a pretty hard slog um, because you are facing these like decades long negative connotations. And then it's up to you um, to see it in a positive light and to be able to pull out the, the strengths that generalists have um, and to be able to like kind of shout and shout and shout into the void about it until um, there's a bit of a tipping point. And I feel like we are at that tipping point now. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. Like being part of the the kind of creator world or the mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial world in particular, it feels like the more you want to do your own thing, and and you're right, the pandemic has kind of moved people just into their own homes, organizing their own lives, and all of mm -hmm. a sudden they didn't just have to do the job that they were doing, but also so many other things to be able yeah. to do this. I feel in that world, it's it's kind of hard to avoid get like just broadening your skill set and. But still, I think there's a difference between somebody who's kind of forced to um, work from home in, in the pandemic and adapt to it and a generalist like who understands that generalism itself is a good idea. So can you kind of get, get me into the, the difference between just being adaptive and being generalist? Yeah, love it. Um, it comes back to the question, like, is being a generalist a choice? And this is something that as I've built the community, it's something I've asked myself and others a lot, because I think to your point, when I first started looking into this, you know, the common narrative was that a generalist is someone who is mediocre at a lot of things. Um, but, and, you know, there is all these narratives like they can't go deep. Um, they can't focus. They're just unfocused. They just can't stick at one thing and they're kind of average at everything. I mean, that doesn't sound great, does it? But... When I started actually digging in, meeting, spending time with people who were opting in themselves, who were self-identifying and saying, I think I'm a generalist, I started to see things that I completely just blew my mind. You know, these are people who have PhDs. These are people who are in these like powerful um, positions. These are people who they their skill set is somewhere between like incredible and intimidating yeah. because they just have these diverse perspectives. And I think that's what it is. It's it's not just being about being good at many things. It's about being an expert at learning and an expert at problem solving in a way. And this is something I struggle with a lot. In a way, it's specializing in learning and specializing in problem solving and specializing in this like big picture thinking. And so I think language is really important. And I always put my hand up and say, I do not have this all figured out. Like the language that we're using, where it's evolving as we go. But I think what kind of ties all of these generalists together who, again, are self-opting in, even with their PhDs, even with their deep expertise, is this curiosity and this ability to learn and to pick things up and I think there's also something there about um, being able to almost like uh, be, be drawn not so much to a certain role, but to the problem that you want to solve. I see it time and time again in the community. People are predominantly interested in the problem that they're working on rather than necessarily chasing um, prestige or a, a certain title. It's like, what is the problem that I can work on? That's where they find their meaning. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Can you can you even be like? Do you have to be curious to be a generalist? Is that part of the deal? Mm, is it a deal breaker? <laughs> well, if you're not right, if you're if you're completely uncurious, can yeah. you still be a generalist? Yeah, my my hunch is that it is an it is an innate generalist trait to be curious, um, because that is that's kind of what drives you. That's kind of what, what leads you to the next problem. Um, I, I would say it's it's most of the time probably a pretty essential trait. Yeah, 
Well, that's that. It's, it sounds like it would have to be. Like if you and and you described it so well, it's kind of a, a transfer of the capacity to learn and the capacity to understand between different verticals. And w- whenever I think about like specialization or generalists, I always have this visual in my mind of the the T shaped employee, right? That's always the the big thing mm-hmm. that people always mm-hmm. talk about, right? The yeah. you're you kind of you have a couple things you know and you go really deep on one, and then at some point people told me about well the the uppercase Greek letter pi shaped employee, right? Now where you have two. Yes. F- yeah. fields and then somebody told me about the comb shaped employee that had all these little different things yeah. and honestly and I, I, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and just to block the, somebody who loves everything and i feel like particularly if you take the t-shape I, I feel a generalist is just capable of moving the trunk of the t around into different areas as well right if it feels like you, you're not stuck in this one thing you you're, you're capable to just like project your capacity into other fields i really like this uh, this idea of of learning being at the core of this um, so, so that, that seems to be what sets generalists apart. Am I right? Yeah, I think it, it's really interesting because these shapes are evolving, right? It seems like every year there's like, like you said, I haven't even seen the box shape. There is like all mm-hmm. of these shapes evolving. <laughs> and I think what we can, what we can take from that is that there's so much about the, the way that humans work that we just don't know. That we're just starting, I mean, we've spent the last, you know, hundred years coming out of like the industrial revolution where it was like we work five days a week, eight hours a day, and we work on these factory lines and it's like, this is your little role. And it's really only in the last kind of decade that we've really been, you know, there's like been people and culture teams that start to evolve and be like, huh, maybe we shouldn't paint everyone with the exact same brushstroke. Maybe... Um, there's this really great study that came out via um, the Harvard Business Review, and it was talking about how diversity of thought is proving to be just as important as diversity of gender, ethnicity, um, in, t- in terms of bringing teams together and how fast they can move, how innovative they can be. And it's really proving to be this like super key element that if you have if you think about it, like if you have everyone who thinks the exact same on a team, you're going to get the same result. It's the same as a definition of insanity, right? (laughs) But if you have this diversity of thought, people who approach the world differently, people who have experience in these seemingly unrelated, this is what always makes me super excited in generalist world. You've got someone with like their PhD in archaeology who's now building an ed tech platform and you're like, wow, well, what happens when what happens there? Like what is the yeah. perspective that comes from having this deep knowledge of archaeology going to contribute to educational technology? Mm-hmm. So fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um I, the more I think about this, the more I consider myself one too, like a generalist, because I, I'm looking at my own history, really my, my educational history. I, I went to, you know, I went the boring route, I guess. I loved computers, went to computer science, university for computer science, mm-hmm. kind of dropped out because I played too much World of Warcraft, but that's, that's <laughs> a different story. And then after that, I, I went to university again because I wanted to do something completely different. And mm-hmm. and I think that, that that instinct to want to do something completely outside of my domain, that might also be something 
something that just allows me to to be yeah. more general in yeah. in many ways. And I studied philosophy and political science Love for it. a couple of years at the university too, like at the complete other side of the spectrum. And now that I'm kind of back in the in the developer world slash the entrepreneurial creator space, I find both meaning and insights in both of these fields that I can apply to my writing. Right when I write now, I think about. Um, technical problems, technical businesses, but I look at it through the, the data analysis lens of somebody who is, is capable of doing like large scale studies for political science, or I understand complex system, systemic dy uh, dynamics that come from governments, political systems and apply them to entrepreneurial structures. There's, you know, that, that's the kind of the transfusion of knowledge from one to the other. The synergistic element there feels like, um, I'm glad I allowed myself to to kind of break out of the computer route that that so many people kind of got stuck in. I, I felt that's also I think a mental model, right? Yeah. You think other people are stuck in in their field. Do you consider this to be, um, or is is this something that that keeps people from from even allowing themselves to be generalists? Is to 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 feel this need to to have to be specialized to be mm. a meaningful contributor mm. to the society at or large. to be successful right yeah, the the right. or if, if you think back i mean i i ran a workshop for the london school of economics um last week and i was speaking to 116 year olds and one of the first things i asked was who here has been asked what do you want to be when you grow up <laughs> yes and oh of boy. course 100 yeah. hands went up <laughs> And the more I think about that question, the more it's geared to exactly what you were just speaking about, this linear path. It's it's assuming that there is a target and you must hit that target. And, you know, a target often shoots in a straight line, an arrow. But to your experience, you've got computer science, philosophy. What was the other one? Political science, too. Pol political science. like, And as you said, it was the divergence the intersection of all of these things which now make you like you now have this really unique as um Wes Cow would say you know a spiky point of view you've got something that only Arvid sees the world in a certain way and I think my take on this is there is huge value in that and we need to be for some people that linear line is bang on like it is that that is what they're supposed to do they 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 want to um, go and study forever and become the deepest of deep of deep experts. And we need those people. We, this is like people like, are you like anti-generalist? <laughs> Heck no. Like I'm like, we, sorry, we need, we need specialists. We, yeah. we need these, this deep expertise. Um, but my take is that not everyone is the same and we can't be painting everyone with the exact same brush. And it's about time. Like if we want, if we want to solve these big problems, then we need to be building teams, building corporations, building organizations that see people for the different shapes they are, whether that's T, X, Pi, Square, or whatever one is going to come out next week, you know, um, and leverage it. Like I feel like we're not leveraging the talent that exists by allowing people to be who they are. And, and an example of this is in my previous role, um, I was interviewing with the CEO of a mental health tech company and she had asked me to come up with what job description I wanted. And I went back to her with this very weird answer about how I wanted to be an all rounder and I wanted to solve problems. And 
she came up with the title Director of Miscellaneous, um, which <laughs> completely <laughs> changed my life. Oh, that's awesome. Because it was the first time, it was the first time a someone in leadership had seen my skill set and said, do not change a single thing. We need to leverage this, like put her in all the teams, except for engineering and design. Um, all the other teams, put her in, let her be the glue, let her bring the thing that she can be the one that brings it all together. Because um, I think that often what happens in organizations is you have these deep specialists who are fantastic at what they do, but then no one's able to speak to each other. You need people that can be the communicator and the glue that kind of that brings everyone together. Yeah, you kind of you have to break down the silos too, right? There's been a, a mm -hmm. whole a, a culture in in business of siloing up, and I kind of get it because I only recently, over the last couple of years, as I did more writing and community outreach, did I understand that that was actually who I was. Before that, I very much considered myself to be a specialist in the field because development, software development, was the technical skill that I had, and I didn't think yes. I was a writer, but particularly not in a second yeah. language and I didn't think I was a social media person because I had like 200 followers on Twitter at that <laughs> point you know and I, I, I gave myself good reason not to think I'm a generalist by just looking mm -hmm. at the world around me in a particular way and I remember mm -hmm. being um, a software engineer on a pretty technical software engineering team and there was a pride to being this skilled and that nobody else understood what we were doing mm -hmm. and I think the the leadership and the, the, the company that I was in they, they also didn't do much about the just the mentality of uh, we are the development team. Those people are marketing. Marketing people have no idea what we're talking about. They have no understanding of the complexity of the software. There was a lot of friction between these groups just because the specialization was different. And that kind of silo thinking that ultimately kind of destroyed this company. Like we, we, the, the whole tech team quit and founded a new company that was wow. way more open in that regard. Huh. Right? It was it was a pretty bizarre story. It was it was pretty wow. cool too. To, to see this like uh, to be part of a kind of replacement company for the one that failed but it 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 now in retrospect makes me think wow I was really I was a jerk to these people because I wanted to fit in with my specialized skill team and I kind of hated on everybody outside those were just people that that kind of had the same goal as as we all did like make make a good product but yeah you know it, it's nice to to have uh, not just a, a person in you to to teach people how to do it but even just an understanding of the role of a generalist in business it's a, yes, it's the representation. I think that is my, my biggest thing at the moment. It is why I am being so loud and putting so much time and effort into building in public and being the face and being the voice because it kind of starts with awareness. Um, and if someone isn't going to go fly that flag, then nothing really changes. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're doing it in public. And I can I think there's already a lot of people that have found their way into your sphere of influence. Let's just call it that. I, I want to talk about your community a little bit because I, I think it's, it's uh, first off, it's amazing that you're even talking about this. That already, like standing on the pedestal, standing on the soapbox and telling people about the, the truth that you feel and know, that is already quite a challenge. But making a thing happen where people come together and stay together, now that's mm -hmm. a whole other level of work. So how's your community doing? Like how, how did you approach this? How big is the community now? How many generalists have you you found? That's a great question. So when I, I, I also kind of want to caveat this by saying that I never meant to start a community. <laughs> oh, it was really, 
It was really a matter of, um, it started, like, when I first had this light bulb moment of, oh my gosh, I'm a generalist. I think this is what I am. Do Can I find one other? Can I find one other person who has this path that doesn't really make any sense on a CV? And I started looking. I found one. And then I thought, can I find 10? And then when I found 10, just the, the pure, like, laziness of me, I was like, I can't keep doing 10 one-to-one DMs. I was like, I'll, I'll pop them all in Slack. That, that was the beginning of Generalist World. It, it wasn't this like sitting down with a big business plan and being like, okay, stage one, community. Stage two, media empire. No, it was like stage one. And I was like, wow, there is, um, it really started by trying to find a couple, a handful of people who looked like me on paper and I mean, I've been building businesses for about eight years, um, either my own or being a very early employee in others. And you will know, everyone in this audience will know, it is hard to get momentum. No, for sure. It is really hard and becoming increasingly harder, right? Huh. And the, the momentum that I felt from the minute I put this out to LinkedIn and Twitter um, was like undeniable. And it actually caused me to quit my job within three weeks of um, putting it out there on socials, just because for me, it was just so obvious that there was this, this pull, this drive, it was resonating with people on a level that was, yes, we're talking about our careers, but it was resonating at a depth of this is also our identity. This is more than the job we do. This is how we look at and how we approach the world. And I think the what I can really attribute the success of Generalist World is a lot of folks in there are, as I said, beyond incredible, but they've been overlooked and they have lost out to, you know, head to head. They, they've lost out to specialists when they're going up for a role because they don't have the exact experience, even though they might have all of these different skills, which could bring so much to a job. So when you bring together a group of people who are either underrepresented or overlooked or feel misunderstood, um, that is powerful. Um, the community today is, is it dramatic to say, like, my pride and joy? Um Awesome. That's the truth. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is how I feel about um, generalist world. It, uh, I think, there is so much pressure when you start anything—a business, a community, whatever it might be—to just grow, right? Growth at all costs, big, big, big. And um, early on, I remember reading. Um, it was actually just the title of the book, and it was about uh, building a great company, not a big company. Yeah. And that resonated, that resonated because, you know, I, I live on this little island, seven hours away from the next big city. I have absolutely no interest in spending my days chasing VC money. I just wanted to build a product that was really high quality, made a dent in people's lives, could bring people together and help them move faster in their career, help them speak about who they actually are. Um, and to do it profitably while, whilst bootstrapping, that was kind and also like selfishly, once again, I love my calm life. 
<laughs> like I don't want I don't want to change that. And I I love that I can you know if it's sunny outside I go for a couple of hours walking through the forest and along the shore and you know see the sea eagles. Um, I really value life and. The community has been this really um, amazing way to be able to uh, fund my life, which by all means is not extravagant whatsoever, to be able to hire a small team of people that I adore working with. They are, they inspire me. They are absolutely incredible. And then to bring together, we've got about 400 plus generalists wow. from about 20 different countries. Um who, yeah, and it operates on like a a yearly um, subscription model. So that's kind of been like the the chunk of the revenue. Although there's lots of new things on the horizon. Oh, new things on the horizon. That sounds interesting. <laughs> before, <laughs> before we dive into that, I, I I just I just want to know like how how do you cultivate such a community? Because I mean, you, you just said it. Like you, your lifestyle is if if the the weather is nice. I want to be able to take the time and, and walk outside. And honestly, I think there's something about this in generalists as well. People with a diverse range of interests, they might easily do something else than the one thing, right? That you want, might mm -hmm. want them to do as an entrepreneur or as a, as a founder, right? They, they probably are, I wouldn't say easily distracted, but they, they might be mm -hmm. distractible by new and interesting things. Curiosity. We mm -hmm. talked about this, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do you keep people coming back to your community? How do you engage them in a, in a consistent way? Yeah, I think a lot about engagement because when you first start building a community, you Google it as I did. I had never built a community and I was like, how do I, how do, I do this? And engagement, engagement, re-engage, engagement campaigns, automated engagement. And I will be honest, a lot of what I have done with Generalist World has been kind of through intuition and somewhat ignoring a lot of the mainstream advice. And one of that was, in, was engagement. Like, For me, Generalist World is not a place that you come and have to hang out all the time. It's never there to be a burden on your life. It is a right. trusted, non-performative, I think that's a big one, non-performative rather than on social media where you have to have this space, um, like quote unquote safe place that when you need something, you can come and you're probably going to get your answer. You're, there's probably going to be someone because of just of the pure diversity of experiences and knowledge. Someone's done it. And it's this trusted place that you're not expected to be there all the time. Um, and even if you are out there following your curiosity, the value that happens when you do arrive and you do, you're either able to contribute or you're able to have your question answered is so great that it doesn't Like for me, it's not about the the quantity of time that people are spending there. It really is about the quality. And um, I think how to your original question, how you cultivate that is through like there has to be a, a face and a leader of the community. It is so incredibly important to have that one consistent person. And it's it's kind of almost silly advice these days that you even have to say this, but being genuine and being actually genuine, like actually really just yourself, like speak like you would to your friend, like how we would speak and use emojis, use gifts, like you really set the tone and the culture. And especially in the first six months, you'll be setting like literally the habits. You're like, this is how 
you're role modeling constantly. You're constantly being that role model. And eventually people just start picking it up and they just start doing it because that becomes the the culture and the way of being. I, I think you, you just expressed a very, very critical part of building any successful community. And I think the the modeling that that you just described, like you have to be the person you want to attract. You have to, you know, you have to actively be the expert in the field where you want other experts to kind of gather around you. You can't just start a community for X, Y, Z that you have no idea about. Right? You, you, need to, you need to be in the in-group already to allow the in-group to grow. That's, I think, very, very uh, often underrated. I see a lot of people wanting to build communities for whatever because community building is the new, the new thing, right? You need to build community. But in your, in your place or in your, your experience, I guess it just happened because you found your people and then you started modeling yeah. that behavior. And then they. And I will say, like, you know, I will say that, as you said, community has become this absolute buzzword and trend and like big push from like companies like everyone needs a community (laughs) and I think the big difference is I think in years and I think that if I if people are going to be like taking their time to actually come in introduce themselves contribute um learn meet their peers then it's almost my duty like I I I have so much respect it's it's a respect thing that um that I'm thinking long term about this, and I think the almost the problem with um, communities, the challenge with communities these days, is it's way too easy to start them. <laughs> it's it's like two minutes, Slack is started. Yeah. Someone says I'm a community builder. That's the big challenge. It's the same with businesses, right? Like it's so easy just to spin out a product, in especially now with AI, like in you know a couple of hours that we've all we're almost losing this essence of like long-term thinking and i think when you're in the business of community you're really in the business of people and uh i see this as you know i've put my my name my face my reputation all of this is like very intricately tied to generalist world and that's something i don't take lightly yeah yeah it's a it's a reputational thing and it's a it's a relational thing right like a, a community without relationships is it's an empty husk. Like it's just transactional. And I love this. I love the, the, the thing you said about it being non-performative. That kind of already excludes kind of transactional movements or transactional actions, right? Where people do one thing to get something else. Yes. Uh, any relational group where people really care about long-term relationship, the, the kind of infinite game thinking, that will actively fight anything transactional and performative. I, I love that. I think that's a really important part too. Like encouraging non-performativeness or discouraging performative behavior. Yeah. Do you, do you actively and, do this? Yeah. Like, can you give me examples for that? Yeah. So I banned self-promotion. <laughs> like, okay, good, good I was like, no self-promotion because, you know, yeah, you know, almost every community I'm, I'm in has a self-promotion channel. And in my opinion, they're completely useless. No one actually goes to look at it unless you're just going there to self-promote and then you never really look at it again. There might be some exceptions to this, especially in like say founders communities or something where that could be that could be a, a loophole. But for the vast majority, these self-promotion channels are just an endless pit of people sharing a link that isn't actually of any value. Yeah. And so that was a very intentional 
decision at um, maybe six months in uh, where I was like, you know, we have a, 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 a very dedicated onboarding process. And part of that is we have a, a kind of template where people can introduce themselves and it helps tease out these different parts of their generalist self. And I'm like, by all means, drop your links in there, like introduce yourself, drop your links. We want to be able to go and see who you are outside of Slack. But this is not the place where you're going to be like, upvote me on Product Hunt and like my blog and um, we can connect outside and, you know, go for gold on social media. But this is a place, again, where it's, we, the noise is low. I'm like, it, it's, it shouldn't be a noisy place. It should be a high quality um, content that's found inside the community. Yeah. Did you have to ever enforce this like strongly? Did you have to ban people from your community or even not allow them in for that reason? No, touch wood. I've actually never had to ban or kick anyone out. I think part of that is just we've only been going for 18 months and maybe that will be around the corner at some point. Yeah. Um, but people are very respectful. Um, it's also like, you know, you pay to be a part of it. It's a paid product. So you're almost not going to jeopardize that um, <laughs> by great. then sharing That's a great. link. Um, and it's also, it's cultural. It's not a part of the culture. It's not a part of what we do. People would be like, what? Like, why are you, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I love that. That's, that's great. I think like barrier to entry, like ma making something paid, you kind of have a loss aversion bias that you can work with, so that people don't don't do the thing you don't want them to do. I really enjoy this, and I, I I've been I, I kind of I'm generally torn on completely banning self promotion because I feel that is a way to selflessly self promote, but mm -hmm. that can just be through your action. That doesn't need to be through a link, right? Because people seeing that if they see you help them. They will find the way to figure out if you can help them in other ways. Like they will find the link, right? They will go to your social media. They will Absolutely. go to your website or whatever. You don't need to push it into their face. Absolutely. There's, there's something to be said about giving, 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 and then yes. just eventual reciprocity kicks in and they figure it out and they, they try to make, make ends, you know, make, make even get even with you in it. Yeah. And to your point, like that is, that's how the world works in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Like yes. if we were to meet on the street, I wouldn't be like, Click this link and uh, go and get <laughs> oh, my blog I, read. I, I would love that if I were to ever meet you, like in real life, if, if that would be maybe our interaction. I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird, right? Maybe, it's, it's... maybe I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> just be the walking QR code. Just click this. Yeah, uh, that, that that is absolutely right. Nobody would do this, right? Yeah, it's nobody would ask something off you before they even understood if you are trustworthy or not. Yeah. Like that is the baseline for, for human trust is yeah. to establish some kind of relationship. Absolutely. Right? Which, which is why scammers or, or con con people uh, abuse that trust and, and then scam you after the fact. And it's nice to, to see you actively fight this by not even giving people the opportunity <laughs> to do stuff like that. That's cool. It's, it's nice. It's nice to see you building a community super intentionally with mm -hmm. very clear rules and the culture that you project into the community by just living it yourself. Yeah. That is really awesome. Thank you. It's also a culture I can sustain. I think, um, it is, I think when people think I'm going to start a community, it seems like this fun rainbows, unicorns, like everyone's happy. Like it is, oh my gosh, it is exhausting. You're, it is constant, constant um, 
people. And have you ever seen that like that uh, kind of diagram where it's like if you have like three people working together, there's like three lines, and then like ten people, yeah. there's like fifty lines. Yeah. The community is no different. You know, there is so many people to, and especially um, what I'm realizing at the moment is as it scales your challenges change. You're, you're up against, you're like, okay, well, this is not the same as it was at a hundred members. Um, how do I, I think you, you kind of nailed it with the, um, intentionally designed. Like I, if anything, I probably think like too much about the design. I'm like, it's for me, the, the community is the absolute core product and it, it, it deserves, and it needs this like constant iteration and thought that goes into it. And I hear that all the time from our members that it, it's a, it's, it's a, a rare place to be on the internet. Like you don't really find places like that so much like just loving care. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I love to hear it because it feels like you're giving a lot of yourself to this community, if not everything that you are, yeah. right? That that's kind of what, what, what comes, comes across here. Like, what do you struggle with? What, what are the things that are really hard about this community building right now? And how do you tackle those issues? Yeah. The biggest struggle I have at the moment is evaluating and prioritizing opportunities. Um, so when I first started this thing, I was pretty small on LinkedIn and my Twitter did not exist. I, I My first tweet was like, is anyone here a generalist? How does this work? I was like, what's a retweet? Um, real noob, real noob. Didn't know at all what I was doing. And as both of those have grown and as uh, my sphere of influence, I liked that, that was a cool, uh, has kind of grown, there's again this tipping point. I'm reading the book, The Tipping Point at the moment, and everything in my life is relating back to it. And there was a tipping point where um, I started to have to say no to more things that I was saying yes to. And Avid, that is the first time in my life that that has happened. And <laughs> I feel like it's a skill, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a, yeah. oh, it's a sure. skill, especially like, you know, I grew up in this really small farming town in New Zealand where the only, the only thing that people wanted me to be when I grew up was a wife and to marry the neighbor and have more cows. Like that was kind of my aspirations. And I'm not exaggerating that growing up. And so then to, you know, reach 30 and then suddenly these doors are starting to open and I feel this like almost um, urgency to say, yes, oh my gosh, opportunities, they're finally coming. And it, again, had to be a really thoughtful um, process, which was just a big self-reflection and lots of self-work as to like, well, what is actually important here? And am I saying yes, because it is going to keep us moving? Uh, toward kind of the North Star? Or am I saying yes to people, please? Um, am I saying yes just because it's a yes? Um, so I think my my biggest challenge at the moment, and I'm sure your audience will be able to relate, is that as you, if you stick with this, you're just going to keep growing. And as you keep growing, more doors are going to open and you have to start being able to evaluate what opportunities are worth quote unquote, like worth your time. Um, and that's difficult. That's not something we're taught. Mm, no, for sure not. Yeah. No, because because opportunities either exist or they don't, and then you take them. 
<laughs> That's the rule that I grew up on, right? So you you can go to university, you will go to university. End of story. There's yeah. no alternative path. There's no, you know, pathless path, as as Paul Millard would call it, or something like that. That's just the path. And if if you see it, you go there. Yeah. So that 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 is a skill. Have you developed some kind of framework to to kind of judge these things? Because I, I think I have. Mine mine is synergy. Everything new that is an opportunity has to fit into the system that I've already established. Otherwise, I'm not gonna do it. But how how does it work for you? Do you have a similar kind of approach? I, I really like that. Um, I guess it kind of is similar. I think how I how I think about it when an opportunity comes in is how it's almost like um, how much effort is this going to take and how much impact is going to come from it. And that could be impact from um, revenue. It could be impact of just like amplifying the platform. It could be impact. Um, it really makes someone's life better. You know, there's lots of different ways to evaluate impact. Um, but I think what I've realized is that the the more I say yes to things, the less I can actually show up to things. And so I'm I'm looking at it like I'm actually doing a, a disservice to others if I'm saying yes to everything. It's actually a disservice. Um, yeah. Okay, that that's an interesting point. I, I think so. I, I believe so too, which is why I think I went from building a software business to building a media business because I just have more control over my calendar, right? It's like that the thing that the, our conversation right mm-hmm. now is the last thing that I've scheduled this week. Wow. It is one of two things that I've scheduled this wow. week, right? That's the, I, that's, that was always the plan, right? And, and I mean, I'm lucky enough to have had a software exit in the past yes. and be, be financially secure enough to be able to do this. But that's kind of work, what I worked towards was to have an empty calendar be the status symbol, right? That I always wanted it to be. I don't need a Lamborghini. Yeah. I just need a calendar with two things. Heck, in it. That's yeah. how I feel. That's my life. luxury. Like I'm right? here for it. That is very good. <laughs> yeah, that is super calm. You know what? I, that that kind of brings me to to something that I wanted to ask you this whole time. Like you, you mentioned your Scottish island with 170 people. That is a pretty calm life. Has your let, let's just call it isolation, mm-hmm. which I, I know you're not completely isolated. Mm-hmm. There's still people there, mm-hmm. but has this isolation been kind of a an, an amplifier for your need to find community outside of your your local physical community? Like, was that also a reason why you? Why are you so focused on community building with other generalists? Because there are probably quite few generalists around you. That's a great question. And I think I've never never really made that connection. But perhaps I think um, I've been working and building, working in tech for, say, eight plus years. And so then moving to this island, like... Yeah, there is there is no technical anything. We have like a Facebook group, and I'm not joking. That's kind of like that's wow. the height of the tech. Yeah, it's a very active <laughs> Facebook group in our defense. Um, so I think that probably is part of it. Um, I think that when I first started building this from this little island, I was kind of convinced that it was going to be a disadvantage. Like I'm not in London. I'm not. I'm not in a big city where I can just like go to meetups every night and pitch my pitch my things. But I think um, what I'm really good at is just playing the hand I'm dealt. And I've just really, you can either be like, oh no, I live like a day away from literally anywhere. Uh, or you can use that to tell a really great story and be like, I am a female founder building from this island with 178 people and loads of sheep. And I've built this global 
like profitable business from here. Hello, that's a story to tell. And the more I lean into that instead of, and it's, it's the generalist thing. If I just tried to be like everyone else, my God, you're just, how do you stand out? Right? So um, I think the, the, this day and age, it's really, really hard to stand out. And uh, if, I think the more that you can just lean into being who you are, that that comes across like loud and clear. And if you do have these mm-hmm. unique things, like you might live somewhere different, you might be approaching life or business different. It's good to be different. Like, I think that is a strength. Yeah. And we're, since we're, you know, little kids where we're kind of in the system where it's like, be the same and don't make too much noise and don't make too much fuss. Um, just follow that straight line. But I found that building from the Isle of Raze, which is where I live, um, has been has given me opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And yes, it may have been a disadvantage at times, um, but I think net, like I think overall, it has been a massive strength. That sounds like uh, you are leaning into the whole intersectionality of all those mm-hmm. different identities that you are part of and that you carry within yourself, and you 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 talk about it. I think that you, you could be on that island and build something, and and nobody would ever know. Probably would be bad for your success potential. But <laughs> yeah. the moment you start talking about it, the moment you share it, and the moment you make this a thing for other people to resonate with, because yeah. they themselves they see their own potential in you, or they see similar stories from their past in yeah. yours right yeah. that the moment you, you you put yourself out there you built this in public and you you share your your journey as you're on it that is the success story that is like both the success itself and facilitating even more of it i i think this is so cool and i uh i would i i will follow your journey for, for a long long time you can be <laughs> quite sure of that i might actually take a take a little visit to your community because i feel after this conversation in yeah. particular this is kind of me Right, yeah. this, I, like as a creator, as somebody who's come from a very tech-specific field, but has found that I can write for more than machines. I can write for people. I can, you know, make people go places that they themselves never thought they can go. Yes, like that's my capacity, yeah. and it comes from all these different things that in, in my life kind of intersect in who I am right now. Well, if there are more people like this, I can probably learn from them even more as well. So that's that's super exciting. If people want to find out more about you and your community, where should they go? Because I know that a lot of generalists have like re- really perked up their ears right now. Yeah. What I always say about generalist world is that um, the beauty of it from like a product perspective is that people are either hot or cold. Like you, you'll hear the spiel and yeah. people will either be like, where do I find out about this? Or they'll be like, no idea what she's talking about. Not for me. And from a product perspective, you don't want lukewarm, right? So that's right. If you're listening to this and you're one of the ones screaming saying, stop talking, Millie, just give us the link. Um, Generalist.world. And my name, Millie Tumati, I believe I'm the only one in the world. So it's really hard to um, not find me. And uh, yeah, (laughs) congrats, I thank you.
That's awesome. Yeah, do do follow follow Millie. That that will be very very easy because she's uh, she's unique in many different <laughs> ways. I I I really I I adore your story. It's really cool. I I see a lot of my own experience in there, so I can relate to it. But I just uh, admire the way you are and the way you communicate and the, the and what you do because it's really important and helps so many people, closeted generalists for sure, <laughs> be more open about this. So thank you so much for sharing all of this today with me and and the people listening and watching it's been quite eye-opening for me and i i bet it was for other people too thank you so much millie you're welcome and avid can i can i can i be cheeky and can i give um a little shout out of something that is completely this is no one knows about it yet it is uh it's been happening very quietly within the community Um, There has been something that people have been asking me, and I mean, I have lost count of the number of times I have heard this, and it seems very appropriate to share it here with you and with your audience. Um, People are like, where's the podcast? You know, you've got, you're absolutely dominating this newsletter. You've got the community. You've got the social media. They're like, Millie, where is the podcast? We want to go deeper. We want to hear these stories. Like, what happens when you put microphones in front of generalists. I am so (laughs) excited that we are officially launching a podcast. Um, The the kind of the trailer launch is going to be mid-October with our first episodes coming out in January. So tune into that. That is so cool. Oh, I I will. Like, I, if, if you give me a URL <laughs> to something right now, I'm, I'm yeah. going to put it right in. That is so cool. I, I, I love this because I cannot imagine anything more diverse and more exciting than just giving people who have in themselves, every single one of them, this wide range of experiences and transfer of knowledge. That's going to be awesome. That's so cool. Thanks for announcing yeah. this. This is this is amazing. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. That's going to be a great show <laughs> to, so to put into Well, thank you for being on. That was a wonderful conversation. It was really nice to chat with you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Chat to you soon. Bye. (laughs) Bye. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built this amazing product. You acquire customers and it's generating all this amazing monthly recurring revenue. The SaaS dream, right? Problem is, something isn't working. You're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's like a skill you don't know what to do, can't focus, or you're just not interested anymore. You're just feeling stuck. You're feeling stuck in your business and with your business. So what should you do? Well, the common story that everybody would like to hear is that you buckled down and got it going again, right? You reignited the fire, you work in the business, on the business, all of these things. You built like a massive audience, you market to it, you do sales, and six months down the road, you made a lot of money. You tripled your revenue. You have this super successful business that everybody wants to buy. That's the idea. Everybody loves that. Everybody tells you how great you were for building this business. Reality, unfortunately, is not as simple as this. And a situation that you may be in is different for every founder in this particular situation. But too many times, the story here ends up being one of inaction, stagnation, until the business itself becomes less and less valuable over time, or worse, completely worthless. So if you find yourself here already, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, that is selling your business on acquire.com right now. Because capitalizing on the value of your time today It's a pretty smart move. Acquire.com is free to list. They'll help you with everything. They've helped hundreds of founders already selling their businesses. So go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you and your business today.
Now, thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder today. That was a fun conversation. I'm glad you were part of it today. You can find me on Twitter, and Milita too, I guess, but I'm on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-H-L, and you'll find my books in my Twitter course there too. Hey, if you want to support me in the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and get the podcast in your player of choice. And please, please, please leave a five-star rating and a really good review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It makes a massive difference if you show up there because then the podcast will show up for other people And that's what really helps the show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.